This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. I've heard the saying, silence is golden. I'm here today to tell you as a father of four sons, that's a lie. Let me explain. I can't count how many times I have found myself sitting there in my chair in the living room uh, with a, a strong cup of black, freshly brewed coffee in one hand and a book in the other, and a, a, a ray of God's sunshine just illuminating the page perfectly when I realize there's no noise. And when you have four sons off playing in some room someplace, and it's silent, it's not golden, it's suspicious. <laughs> With sons, silence is suspicious. And as I begin to scan the room, I begin to realize, Adele's not here. My wife, Adele's not around. I'm not going to be able to, you know, give her the nudge to see if she'll go check on things. I'm going to have to go check on things. And as I begin to get closer and closer to that door, I begin to dread more and more what I'm going to find on the other side, because I know I'm going to find a mess, or I'm going to find a problem, or I'm going to find a a disobedient kid, and I'm going to have to deal with it. You know that feeling? Yeah, you do. If you're a parent, you know you do. You, you know what, though? You probably get that feeling uh, when you have to check your work email after being gone from vacation. Don't you dread just clicking on that inbox, right? Or maybe you get this, you know, when you realize that uh, that assignment that you got three weeks ago is due tomorrow, and it's 6 p.m., and you haven't started it yet, right? Or you get this after the holidays when you just kind of glance out of the corner of your eye and you see the bathroom scale over there, right? We, we get this feeling of aversion. We get this feeling of fear of having to face up to some kind of struggle or problem or issue that we're going to have to change. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, with the kind of change that's required in our faith when it comes to growing, maturing, facing issues we can face that kind of struggle. I realize this may come as a bit of a surprise uh, if you're someone in here who who maybe doesn't yet have a a personal relationship with Christ, you're not yet a Christian, Um, but it, it is not easy being a Christian. Living the Christian life is not easy in many respects. Uh, There's actually a great deal of effort, diligence that's required to actually put our faith into practice, to actually put the teachings of Jesus into practice. Maturity in the Christian life is not something that's just stumbled upon one day. I like how G.K. Chesterton once put this. He said, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. Now certainly, the Christian has received innumerable benefits and promises and and power, but it's still difficult and it's still filled with challenges. That's why people write books like Pilgrim's Progress, right? Challenging. It's challenging to grow. And if we were being honest, there's a lot when it comes to that aspect right there that we'd like to avoid. Uh, Jesus once addressed this this challenge when it comes to change in our lives 
uh, using the same kind of analogy. Except for instead of a messy room, he used a picture of a dirty cup. It explained that we have to deal with cleaning things not just on the outside, but on the inside. Change for a Christian doesn't deal with just some set of outward behaviors it doesn't deal with just behavior modification or church attendance, but internal qualities of the heart that lead to outward changes. And that's the issue. That's the issue. But thankfully, God in his kindness, he calls us deeper. He calls us higher. He calls us beyond the fear and the aversions, and he takes us directly into this cleaning fray again and again and again. And if you've been following along in this series, uh, you heard about part of this. Last week, Pastor Brian addressed the doctrine of justification. Justification in the life of a Christian is the line of demarcation. Justification is our demarcation. It, it, it redefines our relationship with God. It deals with uh, our legal standing for all of time. It's the same for any Christian anywhere who's received Christ. It's entirely a work of God, and it's an act of God in which he makes us holy in his sight, dealing with our position. He looks at the position of Jesus Christ, and he accredits it to our account, holiness, and moves forward here into sanctification. As we begin to change and we begin to grow and we actually begin to be like Christ, not in our position, but in our character. Wayne Grudem describes this well. He said, sanctification is the progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. Sanctification is the progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. Friends, if you're a Christian, immature or mature, old or young, starting, returning, failed, growing, leading, or wondering, God has called you to the door to check on things. He's called you to the door of your life, and yes, there's a mess on the other side. There's problems and there's disobedience that has to be dealt with. And he has every intention of walking through that door with you. He has every intention of walking through that door with you and dealing with every single one of the messes on the inside with you right by his side. That's sanctification. That's sanctification. And that is why I want to unpack with you today. Uh, to do that, I want us to look at three aspects of sanctification from the second letter of Peter. Open up your Bibles, whether you're here, whether you're watching online. Walk, open up your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. This is a little letter you'll find all the way in the back of your Bible. And Peter here is writing to a group of Christians who have been scattered throughout a pagan society. I couldn't think of a more accurate text for our current situation as a church. So church, pay attention. Pay attention. Now, Peter here, there's two things about his letter that we should take stock of. First, this passage we're about to read, it is rich with loaded terms and imagery. It has a lot going on to it. So take notes as we go. Second, remember who Peter is. 
Know who Peter is here. Peter was one of the apostles, one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus Christ. And he was someone who knew the heights and the depths of sanctification. He knew what it was to utterly fail and to deny Jesus. He also knew what it meant to be restored by Jesus. Keep that in mind as we read this letter. Verse 3. His, God's, divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How did he do this? Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Now, what did that calling result in? Verse 4. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Pause there. Peter is pointing out what we said earlier, that our sanctification begins at justification. What we have Escaped, or we have been set free from, is sin's consequences first, right? So uh, the corruption or death, and its power over our desires. Sin is no longer then dominant in our desires because we have become, as he says, partakers of the divine nature. In other words, God's desires has moved in to our heart. They have moved into our hearts. The effects of sin then are present, but no longer dominant. And the amazing promise of this happen and is happening through what he calls the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. That's what uh, we would refer to as the gospel message. It's the knowledge of Christ. The gospel. And it was the means for these promises to happen, right? It's the, 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 the source then for bringing all of this about wasn't us. It was God's power. It was God's power from verse 1. And so here's the, the first thing that we need to see about our sanctification. Real simply, God's power makes it possible. God's power makes it possible. It wasn't you. It wasn't me. It's God. Friends, the whole Christian life, the whole life, it's all by grace. It's all been made possible by God's power. Your ability to walk with him today was made possible by his power. We surrender, we're cooperating, we're going in his direction, but that was made possible by his power. Life and godliness were made possible by God. But consider what that means then for you and me. It means a relief. It means a relief, a huge relief, in fact, because it means that this life, uh, becoming Christ-like, is not just all up to me to make happen. It's a relief. Uh, think of it this way. I think this is a great picture. Uh, have you ever been uh, whitewater kayaking or whitewater rafting? I've, I've never been whitewater kayaking because going over a waterfall seems insane, and, but I have been whitewater rafting, which is only slightly insane. Thundering down those rapids, I've been through the Colorado River before, and, and, and when you think about rafting, where does the power come from? 
It doesn't come from my little oar that I'm, you know, trying to, to guide things around. It comes from the thousands of gallons of water surging around me, throwing the raft forward. I participate by helping to guide the raft to some degree, but the reason rafting is possible is because of the power of the water, not the rower. It's the same with sanctification. God's power makes it possible. It makes possible life and godliness, our sanctification. And that's a huge relief. It's a huge relief. It offers us a place to turn to as a source of help when sin comes knocking and then banging and then pounding on our life. We have a source of hope and help to turn to. It's not all on us. We have hope. Peter shows us here, as we move forward because of this power, that we are escaping sinful desires, and instead we are seeing qualities that we desire because of the gospel's impact on our life begin to flow out from these new desires. He says in verse 5, he takes us further, he says, for this very reason, right? So because of this gospel message, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with what? With love. Love. As you hear that list, we need to recognize that this list, it's not random. It's not random. Think of these qualities not like an equation, but think of them like a chain. Think of them like links on a chain with the foundation being faith and the pinnacle being love. And every link on this chain is all linked together from one to the other. This means that the mindset that the that Peter has here is that there is no virtue, there's no moral excellence without the foundation of faith. There's no knowledge or, or understanding of the gospel that matters without virtue, without moral excellence. That there's self-control, that self-control without this knowledge, without understanding is of no use. That you won't then persevere, you won't have steadfastness without the self-control. You won't have reverence or godliness in your faith without steadfastness, without that kind of perseverance. And brotherly affection, love for other Christians won't happen without reverence in your worship, without a deeper respect for the God who called the Christian brother or sister that you're struggling to love. And finally, you won't have love for anyone else that has much quality to it without love for your fellow Christian. All of these are links in a chain, linked together to show the integrity, all of them leading to the pinnacle quality in this new nature, which is love. And we are to make every effort in growing in these qualities. And so here, right here, we cooperate in sanctification with God. To take aim at another cliche, the Christian life is not simply let go and let God. It's not just let go and let God. Instead, God provides a process. 
God provides a process. Remember from our definition, this is the progressive work and a cooperative one. One where God and I am involved. And this should also be a point, again, for celebration actually in our life. For the Christian, this is, a, this is a great thing. This is a relief because with our sanctification, becoming more Christ-like, it's not just like what I tell my kids to you know, figure it out. Don't call me, right? No, there's something more here. As a father instructs a child, we have been given instructions on how to work out, not work for, but how to work out our salvation, to work out this justification. It flows out from these new desires, this new nature into character qualities. And he's provided, God's provided a process to see our growth here. And I think then that there's two things in this text that we should note about the process being laid out here. First of all, note the integrity. Back to the integrity. Our faith in love are being pictured here with this interconnection to seven other qualities, right? And for those of us who, who started watching uh, the great British baking show during the, the Safer at Home order, uh, maybe it was just me, you know, but if you start watching that show, listen, I can tell you, this is kind of like a cake, right? You can't just dump flour, sugar, eggs, oil, uh, what else do they use? Essence of passion fruit, uh, whatever else that, you know, they throw in there, and then just stick it in the oven. Trust me, you won't get a cake that way. You can ask me later how I know that. Um, but <laughs> Paul and Mary will not be happy if that's what you do. Uh, that's not how it works. What do you have to do? You have to mix it. You have to mix it. And Christian, your love is directly mixed. It is linked. It is having integrity when it comes to virtue, self-control, knowledge, your steadfastness, and so forth. All seven of these qualities are interlinked to the quality of our love. This stands in contrast to the world's definition. I've been seeing these signs around the area with these slogans on them. The slogan that I can read as I drive by it, it says, love is love. Love is love. I mean, maybe one of these is in your yard or in your neighbor's yard. And so I say this with, with, with all respect, um, that our understanding of love is completely different. Our understanding of love is completely different than that slogan. Our understanding of love has two things that make it different. It has integrity and it has definition to it. It has integrity and, and, and definition to it. Our love is not simply whatever makes you happy. It does not change on how I feel, but rather it is grounded in the knowledge of Jesus, who is the very essence of love. Second, to take this further, for those of us who are engaged in this process to become and long to be more like Jesus in how we love, we need to know that the quality of love is only as strong as the qualities in the chain because of the integrity. That means that your love, as the, as the Bible will define it, where you put others first with seeking their highest good, is directly linked to the seven other qualities. And that just makes sense. Because we've all experienced or seen this in others. Maybe your dad was a Christian, and he loved you, but he lacked virtue. He ignored a lot of what was right and wrong. 
Well, I guarantee that affected his love. Maybe you have a spouse and they love you, but they lack at self-control. I guarantee that affects their love. Our love has integrity. It is directly linked to the other qualities. Here's my point for why this matters. If you want to grow in love, then you need to grow in these other qualities too. If you want to grow in the quality of your love, you must grow in these other qualities too because they are intrinsically tied together. So friends, this week, consider, pray about, think about, when it comes to sanctification, what quality does your spouse need to work on? Just kidding, just kidding. (laughs) No, what quality do you need to work on? What quality do you need to grow at? Where is it that you're lacking? What quality here do you need to place effort into? Can you identify one of them? Let's consider them here. Is it virtue? Is it virtue? Is there an area of right or wrong that you're ignoring? Maybe go through Matthew chapter 5 and 6 to help consider that question in your life. Is it knowledge? Am I investing in my understanding of the scriptures to that end? Am I, is there a life group or a Bible study that I'm participating in this fall? Maybe that's a, a part of this. Is, is it self-control? Are there parts of my life or my thought life where discipline is just non-existent? Is it steadfastness? Do I just give up easily? Do I give up easily? Is it godliness? Am I flippant or am I respectful in my worship and service to the Lord? Am I flippant about this? Or am I respectful? Do I have a reverence? Do I treat this as important or careless? Brotherly affection. How am I putting other Christians first by pursuing their highest good? How am I putting my brothers and sisters in Christ around me by pursuing their highest good? Do I consider them somewhere down here or somewhere up here in the priority? What's good for them? What's best for them? Where do I need to grow in love? How am I doing at not just loving Christians, but anyone else? What link in the chain is weak? Identify that one and make Every effort to grow. So we understand this process. Being more like Jesus Christ while escaping, being freed from sin, resisting those desires made possible by God's power. And we're even looking then at those qualities that we just talked about, recognizing where we need to grow. We still need to look at one more thing. We need to address the question of why. Why? What's our motivation? Because seeing why you do what you do matters. And it matters a lot when it comes to sanctification. And thankfully, God provides for our motivations. God provides for our motivations. Becoming like Christ is a work that occurs from the inside out. From our motivations, from our desires, and it moves forward. Look at verse 8 with me here. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. Underline those. In the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten 
again underlined, that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm, circle that, your calling and election, for if you practice these things, you will never fall, for in this way they will be richly provided for you an entrance, again, circle, into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter offers here motivations in the form of warnings and rewards. He sees the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel, as holding this mixture of motivating factors. And he lays them out in four comments on these qualities. Have you ever wondered what's driving a Christian, why uh, you should do what you do? Let me show you. Here's the four motivations that he lays out here. Number one, furthering the gospel. Furthering the gospel message. This is a a great motivation. Listen, if you want to make a kingdom difference in, in the community, in your church, in your work, in your school, in your world, in Somalia, or anywhere else, that's a tremendous and godly motivation. And if that's the true motivating factor, is a kingdom motivation, it should drive you towards pursuing and making these qualities a high priority. They should, it should drive you towards wanting to be more and more like Christ. Second motivating factor, being forgiven. Being forgiven. To put this as bluntly as the Apostle Peter does here, if you're a Christian and you don't care about these qualities, you don't remember what Jesus did for you. If you don't care about these qualities and you're a Christian, you don't, you don't remember. You've forgotten. As he says, you're blind. Friend, God's great love for you is enough motivation that he would live the life that you should have lived and died the death that we should have died for you is enough motivation to put these qualities into practice. It's enough motivation for loving an unlovely Christian. It's enough motivation for loving someone who hates you. It's enough motivation for control over your desires. And when we forget that, which we all can and do, we need to be reminded. We need the gospel preached to us again and again and again to stir up our motives and our desires to recognize the greatness of the forgiveness that I have been a recipient of. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been a recipient of. We need our motivations renewed. Number three, confirmation of salvation. Confirmation of salvation. If you want to enjoy greater certainty about God's call on your life, take these qualities seriously. Put them into practice. The issue here in confirmation is this. If you consider yourself a follower of Jesus and you don't follow then the question that follows is, have you really surrendered your life to him? Have you really surrendered your life to him? Do you have a life that says, yes, yes, you're the master. I follow you. If you want to go that way, I want to go that way too. That's a surrendered lifestyle. And these qualities reveal that heart attitude. It gives confirmation, or another word here that would be equivalent, proof. Proof of being saved. If you ignore these qualities, then don't be surprised, as Peter points out here, if you find yourself 
wondering if you're even saved. Last motivation. Heavenly rewards. Heavenly rewards. When Peter writes this letter, he knows he will soon die. History records that Peter was crucified upside down by Emperor Nero, died from those wounds. And I wonder, as Peter penned these words, his final words here, what he was thinking about. What was he thinking about? In Matthew chapter 19, verse 27, we actually have a conversation between Peter and Jesus recorded where he asks Jesus about this very issue of heavenly rewards. Peter says, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? What then will we have? And Jesus answered him, Everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Friends, we get it all back. We get it all back and more. It's all worth it. It's all worth it. Every ounce of sacrifice, every investment in these qualities that you make, it's all worth it. It's all worth it. There is a heavenly reward. Don't be like the person, 1 Corinthians 3.15, who comes into heaven with next to nothing to show for it. Be like someone who has an entrance richly provided. Be walking into heaven as a champion because you put these qualities into practice. Be motivated by heavenly rewards. Let all four of these motivations propel you forward in progress in spite of the challenges. Because I know any one of us can look at the problems of our lives. We can wonder, how could we grow? We can feel all kinds of fear about stepping into the room and facing the mess. But remember, Sanctification is the progressive work of God and man. It's a progressive work. And it makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. Friends, you don't have to be left alone to somehow pull yourself together and fix all the problems and clean up all the messes. You don't have to somehow pull yourself together to somehow be like Jesus on your own. No. God's power has made it possible. He's broken the power of sin and the consequences for sin. He's brought new desires into your heart. He's given you a process, a way of cooperating with him in growing up and maturing in the Christian faith and love. And out of his love for you, he's given you every motivation for forgiveness to rewards to transform your motivations for this journey ahead. To follow him, stepping into the mess, while looking forward to the beautiful hope on the horizon of all things being made right. So take heart. Realize the quality that you need to address and make every effort. Amen? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, We recognize our desperate need for you. 
We recognize that it's only through your power that you take us weak, discouraged, frail, and broken people, and you transform us into the image of Christ. Lord, we recognize it hasn't been by our power or by some clever process that we've come up with, but it has been through your power. It has been through the process that you've laid out for us. And so, God, we want to follow. Renew our motivations this morning, God. Set before us the hope that we need to give our very best, to make every effort to supplement our faith. God, may the quality of love that's produced in us as a result be a shining example of the love that your son Jesus has displayed upon us and all those around us. And may we, in humble confidence, look to you as the author and the perfecter of our faith, trusting you alone for the change that's needed. We pray this in your son's name.